Welcome to Who Owns the Stars, a podcast where we discuss every single episode of The Expanse and then some. This is part of our bonus series of episodes where we discuss and react and analyze season five in real time. I am one of your hosts, Nina. With me is, as always, Kat. I mean, sometimes. I don't know if I'm all here tonight. (laughs) (laughs) We'll find out. And today we'll be talking about Season 5, Episode 8, Hard Vacuum. And can I just say, what the fuck? (laughs) Is that your reaction? Yes. I think that's the best way I can encompass all of my feelings of this episode. Okay, okay. Where do you want to start? Like, what what part of the story really brought out the what the fucking? I have a confession to make. Okay. I did not rewatch this episode. So I'm, <laughs> I'm going off entirely on We are really starting this episode off on the right foot. We are. I'm going off entirely on no vibes. On vibes, in fact. Uh, and I think it's obvious that there is literally only one storyline I want to talk about today. Let's jump into it. Okay. I mean... Like, what can I say, you know? She is the moment. She is She's the moment. She's the engineer that we all want to be. She's the girl that everybody talks about that's on everybody's mind. She's what got us to where we are. She is the mother I could want, the sister <laughs> I never had, the daughter. Does your family listen to this podcast? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but now they have a standard to live up to. I just... Wow. You know, like we were talking last episode, I think is, oh, and let me put the timer on. But I believe last episode. Oh, we're bringing back the timer. Yes, because otherwise we're just going to ramble. Last episode we talked about, that was, uh, what, down, no, Oyadang. And we were like, this is a really good episode. This is probably maybe one of, if not the best episodes of the season. And then this episode happened. Oh, wow. And I... Is this going to be a preview of what season two is going to be like for us? (laughs) I was like, I mean, it was a good episode. I would have called this the weakest of the season. I would. Well, okay. So let me clarify. In terms of like the structure, I have no idea if this was a objectively good episode. But I can definitely say that this got me the strongest emotional reaction. The strongest investment. I mean, only because of Naomi. Like, I really should stress this is oh, absolutely. Really a very, very subjective review. Like, I really... The way that we came into this intro and never actually said her name. <laughs> you don't need to. She doesn't need an introduction. I mean, like, I think... Okay, so I well, I don't know where to start. I, you know, like, I only have praise. And I, because of my own fault, I, I barely have details in my head. I just have the general feeling of awe. See, Naomi's storyline in this episode, it was great. Honestly, I keep saying it and I'm going to keep saying it. Dom deserves awards. Mm -hmm. Like, she's giving us the performance of the series and not just for her. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, the entire show, the entire cast, and that's not shade to anybody else, but she is that bitch. Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's anything she can't do. This and she's giving us this episode mostly wordless acting, right. no scene partner, primarily carried out through her face and her physicality. Shout out to Dom's background as a dancer. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. They love to talk about it, like how she holds herself. And that's why they give her a lot of wire scenes because they're just mm. like, she can handle it. Uh, it sounds like maybe before we get into what we love so much about Dom's performance, it sounds like there's a little less love for anything else that happened in this episode. Is there anything you'd want to talk about? It's not that I didn't love it. Okay, I didn't love it. <laughs> um, it just wasn't as gripping for me as the rest of the season was. That's pretty much it. Like, I have things to talk about. Mm-hmm. For instance, we could talk about Earth. Because I have a lot to say. Mm-hmm. Go on. Um, let's start with Amos and Clarissa. I was not excited to watch them pee. <laughs> um, I feel like Why that really set I the tone for me. Same thought. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, 
I know the authors and the writers, they love to do a whole like men and women can be friends. And so that what watching them pee near each other signifies like they're comfortable with one another, mm-hmm. but it also desexifies their relationship for anyone who may have been seeing that. Mm-hmm. So I get it. Are you sublim- subliminally messaging to me that I need to not see them as a potential romance anymore? I don't know if I am. I think I'm just a messenger, and that's what they were trying to tell you. Okay, okay. Um, Amos is a lunch. That was fun. We met back up with the, what's his face? Eric. Eric. I actually did like the scene where they met up. The first time I watched, I was like, okay. However, Clarissa's story about that, the woman who says, you're the one, you're the only one who thinks you're alive. Mm-hmm. Her yeah. saying it to Eric as an Earther was great, but I also think it signifies the Earth storyline overall, mm-hmm. because Earth ultimately is a crumbling empire, and they don't really seem to realize that. Like, just like she said, we j- we're all dead, but we keep moving as though we're all alive and things are normal, mm-hmm. and that's what's happening in this scene with. Avasarala and all of the other officials. They're sitting here operating as though we're still back in season two going after Mars and we can just solve everything with more military intervention, more murder, not recognizing that the reckoning that the new secretary general talks about was actually for them, not for the Belters. You know what I found really interesting actually about the secretary general? Um, when I when he was speaking, like giving his speech to all the, I guess, the citizens of Luna, I felt like I had heard a lot of what he had said in a previous season, in a previous speech. So do you remember in season three where Anna writes that big speech for um, whatever the secretary general's name Sorrento is? Sorrento Gillis. Sorrento Gillis. And it's, and you know, it's the reason she came by in the first place to write this big unifying speech. And then Aaron Wright sort of hijacks it and it becomes less about humanity as a whole and more about Earth's dominance over Mars. Do you remember that? Yes. Yeah. Great scene. And as I was listening to this guy's speech, I don't know if it was, in, I mean, I'm sure it was intentional. As I say, I'm not sure if it was intentional, but there was a lot that reminded me of it, even the pace of it, because at the beginning of the speech, he's kind of talking about broad terms, humanity, joining together, unifying, you know, one human race, whatever. And then it kind of feels like he moves into a more dominating kind of tone where it's about specifically Earth rising up and showing its power. And something about it just felt, maybe when we revisit this episode, like I'll, you know, I'll sit down and I'll look at those two speeches side by side, but just some of the language he used and, and the arc of it, felt very very familiar but none of the characters reacted to it so i didn't know like how i was supposed to think about it but then i guess when you think about it you know abasarala wasn't around for the first go of the speech she was a war criminal at the time um (laughs) on the run so maybe it's only for the audience to recognize but it just felt very familiar no i completely agree and i do think it was intentional it's another sign of earth trying to do the same thing over and over instead of adapting the way that, say, Amos says that we need to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Actually, what's interesting about that comment is when we're seeing, there's really only two scenes I'm thinking about with regard to Earth's speech, and then the, I guess the war room is what we'll call them. But when they're kind of discussing, like you were saying, oh, they're kind of referring back to season two, they think that they're back in this war uh, with Mars, but it's just a different type of situation. I loved seeing them actually hash it out because that's actually very interesting to me. I like seeing things just be named for what they are. So I liked, you know, when someone said, you know, this is just like Diemos and Avasarala says, no, we were in a totally different time with Diemos. It's like an explicit callback to this this, uh, sequence of events that we've seen and we know that it's different. And I also liked that Avasarala said, you know, we can't just, we can't war hawk our way out of this, basically, which felt very, very uh, grown up for me, coming from Avasarala, of all people. I was very surprised. That I do she... think it's a great sign of growth. Yeah, 
because I think, and I was watching the after show for this, I think the creator said this too, you know, if we were in season one, this might not have been something Abasarala would have said, or she wouldn't have pushed back so strongly because she pushed back. She said, I mean, she laid it out. She said, look, if we strike back on some innocent Belter outpost, even if it's not innocent, if we strike back in the way that we always do, we will not only shoot ourselves in the foot, we will inflame the entire belt. And she's totally right. And that's not something that season one or season two or maybe even season three Abasarala would have said. And so I really like seeing that because Abasarala is one of those characters where like, we're not always on the same page. I don't always see eye to eye to her, but it's really satisfying watching her change and adapt. Although, I mean, to be fair to her, even back in season two, she was kind of the voice of reason when people were pushing for war. So I guess it's not necessarily unprecedented. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like, I think what we're seeing is all the way back in season one, we saw her say her biggest fear, which is rocks coming from Earth. Mm-hmm. I mean, rocks coming for Earth. Mm-hmm. And now that's finally happened and she's still here. It's one of those situations where your worst fear comes true and then you really just have to face it. And maybe it's not quite as bad as what she thought it was going to be, which I think sounds horrible (laughs) considering millions of people die. Yeah. But she's still able to keep moving forward. I think it comes down to what she's been through. You know, she's seen some crazy shit that she never thought she would experience in her lifetime. So she goes from season proto molecule changed everything, except everything it didn't, you know. <laughs> um, so she goes from this season one, season two, Earth must come first mentality, which is not necessarily we need to fire on everybody else, but the people that matter most are my people, to a more broader kind of um, intentionally ambiguous humanity must come first. It's almost like when you think about solutions to tribalism. Um, in this kind of fiction of a big idea is that we just need to um, set our differences aside and think of ourselves as one people. And one of the problems with that is it's the differences that make people valuable. Those differences need to be valued because if you can't acknowledge other people's differences, you're never going to value them as much as you value yourself. So her, she kind of moves into this perspective where, you know, I think, you know, it's, it's when she's on the Rocinante and she doesn't really respect Naomi she doesn't really have any um, value for Naomi or Naomi's people. But at the same time, she's so intent on on solving this much bigger than all of us problem. That's kind of she, it was very a holding kind of perspective. This is bigger than all of us. Mm-hmm. Whereas I don't know that scene from this episode, it felt like, OK, you know what? Maybe she's thinking more in terms of not this broad scope of humanity, but of the people who make up humanity. And how can we think of ourselves as one people when we can't even, you know, find peace within ourselves? And what does it take to get to peace? I love your take on this episode in Avasarala, because most of my notes on Earth were just like, God, you guys are assholes. (laughs) I mean, it's really I'm just glad that she was the voice of what I wanted to hear in that in that scene. I have a feeling that... It was also nice to see another Earther politician that was like, okay, guys, do you hear yourselves? (laughs) Yeah. I have a feeling that the Secretary General is a little more aggressive than she is. And we might... I think he's more aggressive than what she anticipates. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because he's very much presented as like, oh, I didn't want this role. I never expected to be Secretary General. But it's very easy to know him as on the shallow level but we don't know what he's going to do when he's pushed to a limit so i have a feeling we might see what we kind of saw between avasarala and nancy where i think at one point avasarala saw nancy gal making certain choices that avasarala had made and learned from those mistakes and she was fearful that this next person wasn't going to learn from them i have a feeling we might see something similar with avasarala and this new secretary general um but no action there yet so we'll see um, as just a last note on the war room, more and more as we continue through season five, I just feel like I see season four, or specifically Illis, as like a microcosm of the season five conflict that's playing out right now. Mm-hmm. We see Earth making choices that screw over Belters, 
And then we see Belters make a more overtly aggressive choice in response. And then Earth gives a so-called proportionate response with no level of like self-awareness of what actually led here. And on, on the other hand, that could actually describe the entire show. But I feel like we're seeing the same beats repeat and the same justifications being used. It's kind of funny because I was thinking of Murtry's line where he goes, you know, they struck struck first, but I'm the bad guy. And I'm like, exactly. we're so far from that. Because, like, that mentality is what got them in this situation. Honestly. And then even the line, we're fighting the entire belt, they're just not wearing uniforms. I feel like Murtry had a similar sentiment because we know that there was only a small group of belters on Illus that had even exploded his ship but he was ready to take it out on the entire community. Yeah. I really like that this show, kind of more than other shows, really does make that connection between how a microaggression can explode into actual violence. You know what I mean? Like, season four kind of brought back the, like, with um, uh, with Elvie, right? The kind of, like, oh, she's a little bit racist, and Naomi got really annoyed with her. But Elvie was ultimately, like, a not a not a harmful person she just had these biases that had been conditioned into her by the society she grew up in but over the course of season four over the events and now coming into season five which is a really you know as they say you reap what you sow that's the whole theme of the season you can go back and you can say okay well these moments of like subtle bias or subtle i guess racism isn't the right term but you know subtle belter right subtle prejudice you can trace how it goes from there to to something that provokes uh, somebody to take out millions um, of, of the nation that dominates over them. No, I completely agree. Because even going back to that line, you know, they're just not wearing uniforms. I just feel like it encapsulates everything about why the rocks were thrown in the first place. And we can talk about Marco's wickedness or his ego all we want. But there was always going to be a Marco, even if yeah. it wasn't him specifically. Yep. That's what makes it a reckoning. Yep. It's a, uh, we should, we should probably learn a bit from that. Mm-hmm. But with about three minutes left in the timer, do you have anything you want to <laughs> say about- I surely did hijack this just to complain <laughs> about Earth. <laughs> do you have anything you want to say about the Martians? I feel like we lost some of Bobby's plot line because maybe we've been editing out scenes with the Alps. Yeah. And they've just been like sitting on a ship for five episodes. I feel like a lot of the momentum that we got in the first few episodes with this idea of a dying planet kind of just fell through. Um, And I think maybe this is a good opportunity to sort of talk about some of the response that we've been seeing to this season so far where people have been saying it's paced in a very weird way and it feels like not much is actually happening so I I just want to know like what did you think of that criticism I feel like it comes down to whether you prioritize the plot overall or the characters and the expanse has always been a very plot driven show and now we're slowing down to really center on character work And if you're not particularly interested in some of the characters that are being spotlighted, then I see where that complaint comes from. For me, it's been a great season. (laughs) I don't know what to say to y'all. I actually, I have, I found myself slightly agreeing. Like I have, I mean, a few different perspectives, but I, as much as I love the characters that have been spotlighted, when we come to the other arcs, I feel less excited and I don't oh, I know. I completely agree on that. That's kind of how I feel, where it's like, you know, we just talked about Bobby, where it's like maybe something that happened is that, like, unfortunately, because of her screen partner, and I assume a lot of the emotional development between her, uh, for her, got cut out because they probably wanted to edit out for good reason the person she was with. But as a result of that, somebody who I think is a really cool character who had a, a really interesting arc in the last season and that could have been reflected in this season is gone then you have holden who kind of you know episodes one through maybe five right where fred dies that is 
a pretty interesting arc for him and him dealing with like he has no- nobody to save he has nothing to do so what does that mean but then now that he's kind of going off with Naomi there's a little bit of this proto-molecule versus Naomi like Monica has brought up some really interesting things where it's like you know how far is he willing to go and I think that's interesting but I feel like we're kind of still waiting for that to um like explode like I feel I I don't feel like the past few episodes have have done much and again this is like a first watch so remember when we watched season four (laughs) we were not happy with season four and then I mean I was really like I thought we were gonna get more alien shit so right I'm sure people who love the proto-molecule are pissed about this season um but yeah we didn't like I mean didn't like us is strong we were not fans of season four and then it's just one of those situations where you come in with expectations and they have other goals yeah but then ever since then season four i think is one of our like most referenced seasons there's so much that we like pulled from it after we sat with it after we watched it again and kind of thought about it and now season four i really really like i just like it in its own way so I'm feeling like maybe maybe on a second watch, like when we're seeing it all at once, maybe I'll feel differently about season five. But I feel like ca- certain characters are not getting as much depth as I want to. I think a really big example of this is like I was, I've been really expecting more from the Amos and Clarissa storyline and I'm not getting it. And now we're on the final two episodes and I don't know like what we're waiting for. And I think... Maybe the issue I have overall is I is okay, <laughs> let me reset. This Martian thing, which I think we can safely say is going to come in some way and be some sort of twist for the final episodes, has been downplayed probably intentionally over the season, right? One of those things where you get hints of it, but you're not gonna see anything come together until the final episode. It feels like that's what's happening for most of the storylines. Like I think when we get to these final episodes. I, I'm sure they'll be great, and I'm sure they'll make me think differently about some of these arcs we've been seeing, but I feel like I don't want to wait that long to find value in these storylines that are happening. I don't want to retroactively like them. I want to like them as they're occurring. You know what I mean? And so I feel like there's not enough, I don't know, things happening in the middle of the season. I think I, right. I for a few episodes now, I've been saying like, okay, we had this huge event happen in episode four but that was episode four that was so early so we'll probably have something in like six or seven or eight and, and now here we are four episodes later yeah we haven't and this is not to say we haven't even started talking about naomi i mean like that i is is beautiful i have no complaints about anything that's happening with naomi anything that's really happening with philip and marco i love everything that's going on there i you just, do have to talk about that scene <laughs> i just feel like that's maybe the only thing going on and for some reason everything else is just waiting everything is just waiting to come to a conclusion and honestly when i was reading nemesis games and albeit i've only read it once but that's kind of how i felt about all the other plot lines other than naomi's Mm -hmm. so i wonder if it's just an issue of the source material i i think i heard from somewhere that season five is kind of set up to be like a precursor to season six or book five is set up to be a precursor to book six and maybe mm-hmm. that like you're saying maybe that's why we're feeling it but then i also kind of felt that about season four where i was like okay we slowed down because so much shit is about to hit the fan in season five and maybe that's why i maybe we're at the point where we keep waiting and like we're not getting the payoff as fast as we want the other and thing we did think- come into this season being like it's gonna be so crazy. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I I am again like I'm not having a bad time at all. Mm-hmm. I think I'm just trying to like as we're watching it at the same time, I'm trying to like understand why I feel conflicted. But the last thing I'll say is that I've been saying for a few episodes now that this season feels a lot like season one, and I think that contributes to maybe the the issue that people are feeling. Season one is very much a season where like. Things happen in the beginning, things happen in the end, but in the middle of the season, it's a long wait. And that Mm -hmm. works for season one because you need to slow down, you need to build that foundation, and it's really satisfying 
when the end of the season comes and suddenly everything's coming together. Suddenly there are all these revelations. And maybe that's what we're feeling about season five. I don't think it's a bad approach. I think maybe we're not used to it. And it's been a while since we felt like this. And maybe that's why it's rubbing people the wrong way. One last thing I wanted to get to before we talk about Naomi. I mean, I don't even have anything deep to say about Naomi. I just, like, want to talk about it, you know? Drummer. Well, this is a good episode for Drummer and Naomi stands. And lucky for you, I happen to be both. We are both. Oh, okay. Well, oh. you know. I mean, I will say that I oh, came yeah, first. Huh. It's, you know, it's whatever. It's whatever. Late bloomers are late bloomers. It's okay. Wait, wait, wait. Let's talk about Drummer. We don't have much time. We're already past the 20-minute mark. So I like, well, here's one thing I'll say. Not even about Drummer. I didn't oh, know. I'm sorry. You know what? I'm actually going to hijack this for a moment. <laughs> Rest in peace to my girl, Kuvalea, from season four. Um, she said, fuck Marco, back in season four. And she sucked to her guns. So she's a good hero. luck. I'm sorry that you died. Rest in peace, girl. I thought Drummer and Coral would get into it with each other, but I like what happened instead. Like, I like that Coral isn't being played as the most antagonistic of Marco's crew, which I was kind of feeling like they were going in that direction because she was the one who was most resolute about, you know, doing what Marco wanted to do, whereas Sin and Philip felt otherwise. And I think the quote at the end of the episode where she kind of talks about her own experience with Naomi. Like, what I love is that we're hearing so many different people's perspective of what happened with Naomi. And at the end of the day, as much as it is very much like, you know, she was taken advantage of, she was terrorized, gaslighted, abused, you know, any any word for the book. It's still really interesting to see how other characters respond to her. Like, Coral says, and she re- kind of repeats what Marco says a few episodes before, But she says, ultimately, Naomi left us because she was only thinking of herself. And I feel like Coral really believes in what they're doing. And I really do feel like she she thinks Naomi betrayed them in a way beyond just like, you know, I'm going to go save myself. I feel like she thinks that it was on a very, very personal level for her. Yeah. And she feels like Naomi not only betrayed them, but she rejected them. Right, exactly. And I like that they did that because it's not, oh, maybe Coral is sympathetic. It's like, okay, they're going down a route where Coral gets to have her own opinions and her own values, um, which is cool because because she's on Drummer's ship, she gets to talk to other belters who are not Marco or Naomi or Philip. So you get this weird side conversation and I, again, just it shows just how many Belcher perspectives we're seeing this season. I mean, we always see a lot of Belcher perspectives, but this is really like front and center about the Belchers. So I really, really enjoyed it because I think she talks to, you know, Drummer's like main girlfriend. She doesn't even talk to Drummer. Please don't disrespect the polycule. They're all equal. <laughs> well, not in screen time. Um, <laughs> the other thing is... Can we linger on that scene just for a moment? Yes, yes. Because we do hear Karab talk briefly about Naomi. I actually wanted to zero in on something you said. I actually wish she had spoken with Marco and Sin and Philip and Naomi more in a less antagonistic manner. Or at least she had had the opportunity to really flesh out her issues with Naomi the way that Marco and Sin got to. Yeah. Because I think it would have made this scene hit harder alternatively or moving on from that when she's talking at some point the camera lingers on drummer while we're still hearing Coral's voice yeah and I wonder like why is that important do we think that the point is to tie them together as people who were essentially left behind by Naomi and what we're seeing is the aftermath well the line specifically over drummer is what you're saying it's it's that's exactly when Mm -hmm. we needed her and she turned her back on us and left that's when i knew that she only cared about herself exactly i don't think it's meant to say like you know drummer blames naomi for anything but i think it's tying their perspectives together speaking of what naomi's absence in someone's life leaves behind yes speaking of when drummer finds out that or, or or learns of at that moment what they think that Naomi is dead 
I jumped because I forgot that at that point she has lost almost every like important figure in her life. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, can we please give her a, like, she needs a, I literally, she cannot take another death. Like she physically cannot. And at that point when she took the bottle, I just thought she was going to kill herself. Like that's what I just assumed or, you know, like get as close as possible. And I think that's basically what happened. Oh, really? Yeah. What did you think? I mean, I thought she was just drunk as a skunk. No, no way. I mean, well, my my thoughts are like, do you remember in season three when she talks to Ashford and she's like, Mm -hmm. my deadliest, you know, I think we referenced that a couple of times, but she's like, my deadliest time was when it was me at a bar and how she- Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Right. She like- Like more of a symbolic death. Oh no. I mean, like a, or, well, you know, it's like, she doesn't value her own life at that point. Okay. She has spiraled to such a point where she she cannot keep going. She doesn't she can't mm-hmm. be strong or you know keep her family together. She just doesn't have it in her. And to me no, I that, completely agree with that. You know that feels it feels like a, a suicidal kind of feeling. Mm-hmm. Um and on that I think it, I think no, Drummer's story right now also plays on the line that keeps coming up within that whole storyline this season looking forward versus looking backwards. Because these are all people who were central to Drummer's life, but they're not necessarily present or representative of her potential future in the way that her current family is. But because she's so focused on the pain of losing them, which is completely valid, but she's not able to focus on the love of the people around her who can help her move forward from it. Yeah, I I mean, I always saw the polycule as sort of just like a fun addition, but it sounds like they're going to become more important down the road. I also remember from the after show, the creators had mentioned a choice that Drummer has to make. I wonder if this is sort of what they were getting at, like Mm -hmm. her choice to basically give up um, or if there's something that's coming. But either way, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm tense. I need to like wrap her up in a warm blanket and I need to take her somewhere else. (laughs) <laughs> you know it'll all be over soon in two episodes Jesus yeah Christ. so it's been so nice having the expanse around so before we go do we want to quickly talk about marco and philip oh i thought we were going to talk about naomi to finish off oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> why don't we get to marco and philip i don't know what happened you tell me well marco Marco's vein, forehead veins were popping. That was fun. Um, but him telling Philip, no, she didn't kill him, referring to sin. You did. To me, that was a really important line because for Philip, now both of his parents have now tried to get him to take accountability for the deaths that they know that the other one had a hand in. Ooh. Alternatively, this is Philip's opportunity to understand how Naomi felt with Augustine Gamara, just on the basic level of, I did not kill this person or people, but my actions indirectly led to it, and understanding how that weight feels on you. Yeah. And it had to be someone really personal to him, like Sin, to make him feel that connection and feel that remorse in the way that she did. I have a question for you. Yes, ma'am. Do you think Philip saw what happened to Naomi? Do you, do we I think he saw her escape? Yeah. And get into the chats successfully. I don't think so. I think that if he did, he would have been so angry because of what happened with Sin that he would have gone after her or told Marco so the ship could or even exploded it himself, something along those lines. I don't think he would have kept it secret. I was kind of, honestly, I was kind of hoping for, like, a little Narcissa Malfoy moment, and he does know, but he just didn't tell Marco. That means nothing to me, to be honest. <laughs> I wasn't allowed to read Harry Potter. Well, I was I was hoping it was one of those things where, like, Philip actually did see what happened, but mm-hmm. he, for whatever reason, chose to keep it from Marco. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe to lay the issue to rest, you know, maybe to absolve himself of some of the guilt. I don't know, but I... I like I don't think it's I, I think they would have hinted at it if that was the case, but that would have been kind of fun if he did know. Mm-hmm. Nope, I agree. Um, I don't think it happened, but we'll see. So Naomi Nagata. My girl. 
uh, I don't actually have a place to start. I think. I mean, neither do I. I was hoping you were gonna take lead. Well, okay, so you were saying that earlier because, like, was... most of my praise was for Dom's performance. Truthfully, I have very little concept of what was actually going on, like technologically. Mm. Well, okay, so I was gonna say you were talking about her performance, and I wanted to bring up one thing was like, yeah, a lot of her, a lot of what works in this episode is her physicality. And then there's this moment toward the end where she finally succeeds. And just like the relief in her voice, in her face, in her body language, I literally just like, I felt myself like relieved. You know what I mean? And I think that, again, that's a testament to Dom and just like, first of all, how exhausted must she have been to film this episode alone? I mean, I think you could see it. In the way that she held herself, in the way that she moved, she had to carry that weight all by herself. And Naomi doesn't have anyone to help her in that moment, just like Dom doesn't have a scene partner in that moment. There's two references I want to bring up here. We can like really quickly talk about what actually happened. Like, it, do you have an idea what happened? So I know that message was broadcasting that she wasn't in control. She was somehow able to override whatever settings that they had left on the Chetsumoka so that she could send the actual message out and say, tell James Holden, I'm in control. Like, bitch! Uh, no, what I wanted to get at is the middle part is like, what? okay, so here's like the tension. She was basically calculating, no matter how many times I, I guess, depressurize the airlock, anytime I go into that room and I go into the place where there's no oxygen, I am losing that room's amount of oxygen from the entire ship. So that's why she kept doing those, like, you know, tallies, because she was doing the math of, like, literally how much air do I have left in this ship? And knowing that is cool because, like, I, I just loved, like, her, her breathing. <laughs> like, it wasn't normal gasping. It was, like, the way she breathed was, it was, like, it was dry. It was, like, she literally didn't have the the i don't know the space to breathe anymore and I, that just mm -hmm. added a cool dimension um, and she's been through so much physically even just getting into that ship her body has taken so much damage and we're seeing that play out and it's probably also slowing her her down physically but also her thought process yeah one thing i i this scene reminded me of or this whole episode um you've never watched the 100 but anyone who's listening to this might have there is this it reminded me a lot of a scene in the fourth season of the 100 where one of the characters basically uh kills herself and then brings herself back to life it's a very much like she is saving herself moment and that's how this episode felt with naomi to me where she is getting herself out of it but i kind of have some thoughts about like what works and what doesn't between the two scenes because one of the things i think that makes this episode work is that naomi doesn't experience the most visible violence on screen i think you know like throughout the show like well for, okay so season four like there's a lot of exhaustion and it's very much un understood as like she's pushing herself because she's trying to become something that she isn't and part of that arc is understanding like her limits but as a character she doesn't i don't feel like she uniquely suffers more than other characters as maybe a different show would do to her, if you know what I mean. Especially as a black woman or a woman of color. Right. She's not right. taking on more damage than anyone else to serve the plot line. That's kind of what I'm getting at. You know, she's not being tortured every season for the sake of the crew, which is not to say she doesn't suffer, which is not to say that she has a perfect arc. I'm just saying like from, you know, my my skimmed understanding of it. She's not the kind of person where I'm like, okay, she's going to be in a lot of pain this season as she always is. So I think what worked about this episode is I didn't watch it being like, oh, wow, she got herself out of this situation. But why is she always the one who has to pick herself back up? You know, in like in terms of physically, I think emotionally, maybe there's something to that. But I, I feel like other characters like her in other shows that are maybe the only person of color or maybe one of the few people of color on screen in a leading role, they are usually in situations where they have to overcome the odds and physically get out of their situation. And there's very little attention paid to what that costs them. So they usually bear the brunt of that violence 
season after season. And that's what I'm kind of getting at with this versus the hundred, because the character who does this, Raven Reyes, if you know anything about that show, it's almost become like not a gag, but like a, a running understanding that every season you go into with the 100, Raven Reyes is going to be in some way tortured. She's going to experience violence in some way that is more visible than other characters. And that character is, I believe, the only woman of color in the in the main cast. I could be wrong. She could be one of the few, but she's like the most uh, important one. So when I see that, I'm like, it's so cool what she did, but she's doing this like again and again and again. And I can't fully appreciate this scene. Whereas I feel like with Naomi, I can appreciate it more because she's not the kind of person who has to do this time and time again. Which is not to say that Naomi doesn't have to get herself out of her own situations often, but I don't think she takes on as much mental or physical or psychological exhaustion as others in other shows. And this season is very intentionally about her psychological, mental, physical exhaustion. And adding on to that, her pain isn't being forgotten about or disregarded. Even as we see her going through these things, everyone else in the story is prioritizing her in some way. They're worried about her and they, they're not expecting her to go through this. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. It's one of those things where it's not like these characters aren't allowed to be hurt, but there, A, there's a limit. B, there's like... Uh, equity distribution like are they the only character that keeps getting through this and see what you're saying like is any attention Does the narrative and the other characters actually value them yeah so i you know it just adds to what i like about this episode there was there were some thoughts i had about like just as in season four it was naomi reaching her physical limits i feel like something about this season is naomi reaching her like mental or psychological limits I don't have any thoughts more than that, but I just wanted to put a pin in that when we return to this episode. In like five years. <laughs> the second the second reference I had really quickly is you have brought up to me the importance of messages in this I show. I love when you cite me as a source. <laughs> You're an intelligent scholar. You have you've brought this up um with Aaron Wright, with uh I mean, Aaron Wright is the only message I remember. So honestly, that's just the one I'm going to cite. But I feel like when I was watching this, I, I felt like there's something to be said here. Where like, okay, first of all, since we're on this part where we get to her, you know, solving the riddle, there is something to be said about Naomi taking the words that have been sent for her, that have been put in her mouth and literally twisting it to send her own message. So much of this season is her being trapped and being controlled by others and being hurt by others. And I felt- And then having to take control of her own narrative. Literally. And her own future. Exactly. That's exactly what I felt. Her, like, it just felt like thematically, this is, this is what we need to see. Naomi taking back the narrative. Naomi taking back what's been put on her and moving forward. Because so much of what we've seen so far in the season is- dealing with her past being forced to reckon with it but this episode was really her last episode and this episode was really her choosing to move forward in her own terms and I just think that's iconic (laughs) it absolutely is and when you say it's thematically appropriate yeah like it's perfectly within her storyline but it's also important to the Belter storyline um, increasingly, we're seeing more Belter representation in the show. And I think that we could, I mean, one day link that back to Belters taking control of a narrative that's consistently been dictated by both Earth and Mars. Mm. Just like they took control of space when Marco told them, y'all got to stay on your own planets. I don't know <laughs> what to tell you. Yeah, there's a lot of taking control. I want it, like, I'm, like, waiting to say who owns the stars. I don't think that applies for Naomi, but, like, I'm going to say it anyway because tangentially, you know, it's just kind of... Well, I mean, if we expand what the definition of stars is... Okay, okay. Hit me with it. What are we expanding it to? Find out on our full season five coverage mm-hmm, mm-hmm. here on who owns the stars. I just love, by the way, the, the way that the, the fact that they chose to end it with Naomi's message, that was the, it wasn't until the episode ended that I understood what was happening. 
like then the, then they kept repeating it and i was like oh like the pin dropped um i, I just mean, actually let's give a shout out to the sound editing this episode it was yes. really great especially yes. in naomi's scenes yes. because once again dom doesn't get to really talk all that much so we're really just listening to her interact with the ship yep um one more thing on naomi because we can't get enough of her I proposed in the last episode that we were seeing a theme shift from Philip, which is from the season three soundtrack, to First Steps, which is the season four soundtrack. Did we hear it again? Girl, let me set up the scene for a second. Okay, so First Steps, I believe I had said that initially it starts out as something that you think is just kind of the crew coming onto Illus, a new world, all that. You get it very much face value. But this, this pair of episodes has made me rethink of First Steps. Because we first hear it again in the last episode where she literally takes her steps out into space. Naomi does a a spacewalk. And the beginning of that episode is Philip. That's the track that plays. And so what I had said is I think we are seeing a physical transition of Naomi taking control of her own life and moving from a track that has defined her by her relationship to her son to a track that is about her literally moving forward into a new life, into a new era, into a, a, a new context, I think that's intentional. So when I hear first steps and I think of the name, I think, okay, I don't think it's just first steps physically onto the planet Illus. I think it's the first steps metaphorically into a, a new a new timeline for Naomi. And and so, oh, it was a beautiful moment at the end of this episode when Naomi gets to that final breaker box and she hits the wire and she realizes that she has finally found the wire that controls the message and she realizes she can control the narrative. Guess what track plays? You know it. It's First Steps. It first Steps? I just felt such a, like, I can't describe how overwhelmed I was in that moment. Like, already it's great acting by Dom. Great editing great setup, great production. And then the music plays and Clinton Shorter does what he needs to do. And that, my point is, <laughs> is I'll, I'll, I'll allow myself to ramble more. I say all that to Naomi. say. Yes, my point is, first steps is Naomi's theme. Like, mm-hmm. that scene convinced me that I was right. So, you know, thank you past Nina for proposing that idea because there's like no other way to think about it. You know what I mean? Because it doesn't play for any other character, uh, which actually I heard uh, there was another track that played in this episode, uh, which we had heard a lot associated with Alex uh, back in season three, episode one, I think, which I at the time had assumed was Alex's theme. And then it actually plays over drummer. Can um, we just take a moment to appreciate Nina's like encyclopedic <laughs> knowledge <laughs> of the score for each season? I just I really appreciate Clinton Shorter. You know what I mean? Um, In but a that, totally normal way. Yes, absolutely. So that plays, I'm pretty sure that's the track that plays over some scene with Drummer and her family. And I think I've said this season, I keep being like, you know, I think I've planted the seeds for this. I have no idea. I could be making it up. But I remember at one point being like, I hope Drummer gets a theme. I wonder if like, Drummer will get a new theme or Drummer will steal Alex's theme. But I don't know. Anyway, I just was really happy to hear first steps because it's one of those moments where you're like, oh, I hope they do this. And then they do. And it's just <laughs> incredible. Could we possibly link that to Naomi's identity being defined as others, as the one who leaves to her redefining herself as the one who, f- I was going to say fights, <laughs> but that's not necessarily appropriate in this context, but the one who preserves herself the one who is going to make a way out of no way, something along those lines. Well, she walks away, right? That's the language they use, that she had to walk away. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, you know, if we think about walking, this is this is what or it walking is. Walking right? towards something instead of away from something. Exactly, exactly. First steps instead of your final steps. I'm just saying, man, like, it's all coming together. I see what they're doing, and I love it. Honestly, discussing this episode, I feel like... <laughs> It made me like it more. <laughs> I feel like also, I just, it was just nice to see Naomi get this kind of episode. And like, it's just been nice the whole season to see her 
be paid such attention and care. You know what I mean? Like, even if, you know, we're seeing a little lackluster attention paid to other characters, I don't mind because of because of what we're getting with Naomi. So I just, I can't describe it, man. It's a great feeling. It is really great because we've been waiting for this. We get like little snippets of Naomi over the course of several seasons. And now we're just getting so much at once. And retroactively, it brings even more depth to what we've already seen from her. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's one of those things where you're like, every part has been executed perfectly. It's not like it's a great Mm -hmm. ending, but it was a weird way to get there. Or it was a great way to get there, but the ending just like got totally messed up. We're talking about this as if she died. She's like, we have no (laughs) idea what's going to happen in the next episode. Like, there's still a bomb on the ship. Like, no one's going to be able to rescue her. But I just like every I mean, the mark of a really great story is when you can enjoy it and you can see the depth in it as it continues. But as they add more layers to it, you're able to appreciate what you've already seen even more, even as you're seeing the seeds that have been sown come to fruition. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, maybe we should wrap it up. I mean, maybe. Technically, the timer went off a little minute ago. (laughs) Really quickly, I'll ask you uh, thoughts on the next episode. Because it's called, uh, I don't remember the name, but it's the island that Amos and Clarissa are trying to get to, to get back, to get on a shuttle to get uh, back to Luna. There's no way I can give my thoughts without it being a spoiler. Okay. Um... (laughs) This is what happens when you don't read the books with me. And I will. <laughs> I do remember somebody in this episode talking about uh, the ships that are still near the ring, which I think is a nice acknowledgement of what we've been seeing in the title credits so far, which is those uh, two UNN ships, one Martian ship. So they finally like textually acknowledge that in this episode, I believe. They also wonder if Marco is trying to destroy the rings. Yes. And I also heard a little bit about the medina i have no idea what's going on the medina i don't even know who's on the medina they were trying to debate whether they should i think blow it up or not Mm. so that's over there that versus palace or anywhere else where there are belters yeah so i don't know what's happening in the next episode i don't know what's happening in the final episode i think it's interesting that this has been a pretty proto-molecule-less season so far um and has still been a really great season and I'm excited to see what happens next. You know what? I, I think we only have two episodes left. I think my favorite episode from the last season was also episode eight. So I think I'm sensing a pattern. <laughs> All right. That's it for me. Looks like it's time to head out, y'all. Will you do the honors? I would love to. Thank you all for listening, especially if you've been listening for the whole season. But we welcome new ears. Um, if you have anything to say, any feedback, any thoughts that you'd like to share, you can hit us up at whoownsthestarspod at gmail.com or you can hit us up on Twitter at whoownsthestars. And thanks again for listening. You have a great night. We'll see you in the next one. And we'll see you for the finale. Hey! <laughs>